Would you hear this morning's scripture reading from Hebrews chapter 2? We'll be reading verses 10 through 18. Again, Hebrews 2, verses 10 through to verse 18. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise took, partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This is God's word. Would you pray with me? Our God and our Heavenly Father, we pray that not only this morning, not only when we are within the walls of the church or visiting with church brothers and sisters, that those would not be the only times where we focus on you and the work that you have accomplished in Christ. But we pray that such an awareness would permeate every part of our lives, that whatever we say and whatever we do and however we say and do what we do, that all of it would be colored by the knowledge of the work of your Son, Jesus Christ that all of it would be directed by the directions that we find in your word. Lord, we live in a world that is increasingly divided across religious lines, across political lines, across every manner of disagreement that we can manage to come up with, Lord. But Lord, we pray that in the midst of this division that the world might see a shining light on a hill, a beacon of righteousness and unity that is found in your church, that we may be one just as Christ is one with you. Lord, we think of all of the men and women who are a part of this convoy out to our capital this week and over these last number of days, Lord. God, there is so much strife and disunity in our country. And Lord, whether it's this convoy or the protests in the various towns and cities across our nation, Lord, we pray that in all of these things that your will would be done. Not the will of government leaders, not the will of protesters, not the will of any one man, woman, or child, but your will, O oh God, would be done. That you would foster unity among your people. That you would bring peace 
instead of strife. Lord, we pray for those who have been involved in these things, and we pray that you would keep them safe, that any who would seek to turn these events into a, a platform for violence, Lord, that they would be thwarted in their plans. God, we do not know the outcome that you have in mind for all of this. But we do know that you are reigning and you are guiding and directing the, the plans of even world leaders. None of this could happen outside of your will. We pray for our government, O oh Lord. We know that they do not always make decisions that all will agree with, but you have placed them in power for a reason. It is only by your will that they have the power that they have. We pray that they would come to know you and come to make decisions that are honoring and glorifying to you. We thank you that we live in a country where we can voice disagreement and differences of opinion with a relative safety. Lord, we pray that you would protect that. My Lord, as far as it comes to things of your will and the commands of Scripture, that even when it comes to issues where we are not allowed to voice disagreement, that it would not silence us, but that we would disagree vehemently with anything that comes against your word. Lord, encourage our leaders today. May your Holy Spirit speak to them and reveal to their hearts the truth of your word that they might come to know you and come to serve you. And in the meantime, we pray that you would continue to bolster the hearts of your people, that we would not be shaken by the events that go along in this world, but that we might ground ourselves in the hope that we have in you, that the kingdoms in which we live are not our ultimate home, but that our home is with you. God, we pray for our church that we would continue to be light and life and salt in a world that is in such desperate need of it. That we might be known as peacemakers amongst the world. And that the world might know us by the love that we have for one another here within the church. Not just as Elk Point Baptist Church, but the church universal, that we might love our Christian brothers and sisters with a love that causes the world to take notice and wonder what the source of such unity and love would be, that we might tell them that it comes from a knowledge of you, comes from a unified thought and heart to worship you. We pray for those of our brothers and sisters who can't gather with us this morning, whether because they are ill or shut in or locked down because of covid God, we ask that you would once again allow them to join with, the, with us soon. Lord, for those who are ill, we pray that your healing touch would be upon them, that they would be brought back to full and good health quickly. We pray for the, the medical staff that are working today and throughout the week. It is 
such a difficult position to be in in these days. And Lord, we pray that you would strengthen them and encourage them. And for those amongst the medical staff that are believers and followers of you, we just ask that they would daily be in prayer that the work that they are doing would honor and glorify you. We continue to pray for our annual meeting as it comes up next week. We know that you have guided and directed and cared for this church in so many real and amazing ways over the last decades. This year being a year of great transition, Lord, and upheaval in our our world that the church has had to deal with. We pray that as we meet together as a membership of the church, that you would give peace and unity in our midst, that our people would come with hearts and minds prepared to, to worship you through the decisions that we make. We pray that you would continue to carry this church as you have for so many years in the past that we might seek you in all that we say and do. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So when I try to think about Scripture readings for most Sundays, I usually try to pick something that fits with the morning's topic or passage. And the passage that we read before the prayer from Hebrews chapter 2 has a special crossover with today's message. Today's message is going to be pulled from Hebrews chapter 7, verses 26 through to 28. So if you want to get a thumb in there, you can be doing so. But from Hebrews chapter 2, there is a, a crossover with a unique word. Verse 10 of chapter 2 says, For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Then chapter 7, verse 26. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. This word translated as fitting will play heavily into our message this morning. It directs us to recognize how Christ fits as our Savior and our high priest. So would you read our passage this morning with me? Hebrews chapter 7, verses 26 through to verse 28. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. But the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Being transparent when I read the word fitting here, maybe it's just me, but I I don't, necessarily love the sense that's attached to it. When I hear a phrase like, it was fitting, I get the feeling of it just being kind of appropriate or suitable. It follows along. 
it's fitting for a man to wear a tuxedo to his wedding. It is fitting that a person who works overtime gets paid extra. It's, there's a sense that this fitting just kind of passively follows the situation. Maybe what I'm wishing for here is that there is a way to convey the preciseness of the fit. If you've ever done a jigsaw puzzle, you know that there are pieces that just kind of as you're building across, they just they fit together. That's what puzzle pieces are meant to do. But there's something where you've finished all the way around a slot, and then you find that gaping hole just kind of mocking you, and you find that one piece that just fits perfectly. And there's a greater satisfaction there that it does more than just fit. It fits perfectly. It might fit that a man wear a tuxedo to his wedding, but he could wear that to any black tie formal event. However, it fits perfectly that a woman would wear her wedding dress to a wedding, a garment that is designed precisely for that one moment. This morning we're talking about Jesus, our great high priest, Last week we read he is the guarantor of a better covenant, that he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. And consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And our passage this morning follows that up. I kind of like the translation that the NIV does here, and he, it says, for such a high priest truly meets our need. Our guarantor, our permanent high priest, does more than just fit. He fits perfectly in this role. Jesus is more than just suitable or adequate to the priesthood that he is actively in today. The fit is so precise that no one and nothing else could fill that role. There's a reason why in John 14, 6, Jesus says of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In faithful expository preaching, there is a general suspicion, and rightly so, shown towards making too much of the creature rather than the creator. Making too much of ourselves and not enough of Christ. And maybe that's why some other translations vary from the NIV's choice to call Christ the one who truly meets our need. Instead saying it's fitting that we should have such a high priest. We need to remember that Christ's primary goal was the glory of God. When he prayed for us, interceding before the Father, he says, They also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. Why? to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. But Christ saw fit to glorify himself through the salvation of mankind. And as such, it was necessary that he fit perfectly as our high priest. He does truly meet our need because it was to his glory to do so. So this morning we get the joy and privilege of looking at how Christ, our great Savior and High Priest,
fits that role. Another translation says, this is the kind of high priest we need. Our author gives five criteria, and at least the first three sound fairly similar at first glance. Holy, innocent, and unstained. Goes on to also say separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. These are five of the pieces that make Jesus so perfectly fitting for his role as our high priest. And we're going to look at those this morning. First, he was holy. This focuses on Christ standing before God. When God spoke to Moses in Leviticus 19, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Holiness here is referring to being set apart for a special purpose, specifically set apart unto God. But for us to really understand what this means, that our Savior was holy, we first have to recognize that holiness as it is used in Scripture, first and foremost, is defined by God. Revelation 15.4 Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Our great high priest as a member of the Godhead, is holy in a manner that is beyond the capability of any created being. He is holy by his existence. He is holy because he is, in the same sense that Yahweh in the Old Testament says, I am. But when by association we are commanded as God's people to be holy, as he is holy, We cannot think that we're being commanded to be holy in this same manner. No man will or ever has been able to say, I am, with the same sense of the meaning. Not even Adam, who was the first and only other sinless man, was able to say those words. For he depended on God for his very existence. Just as today, moment to moment, we do the same. So holiness must mean something beyond this kind of holiness. And it also carries with it a, an ethical holiness to which we are called. When God first created us, he said that he would create mankind in his own image. And that image of God, what we call the Imago Dei, is carried in every human being across the ages. And our capacity for recognizing and pursuing moral and ethical holiness, I believe, is part of the image of God. Neither plant nor beast nor anything else on earth has the same moral compass the way humans do. We are created in this image of God and we are designed to pursue conformity to that image. We are designed to pursue right standing and cleanness before God where like a perfectly polished mirror we can reflect his own holiness back at him 
but as ones who are affected by sin, our reflection has grown dim. Our, our mirror is scratched beyond repair, and our reflection is now distorted and often almost unrecognizable. Our perfect high priest, however, is holy before God, unmarred by sin, incapable of displaying this ethical holiness the way that we were meant to. Indeed, it was fitting that we should have such a holy high priest. Second, our high priest is to be innocent. Other translations use the word blameless or harmless. The sense in which it's used grounds it firmly in Christ's dealings with mankind. It means that he is without evil, simple, or guileless. Returning to that example of Adam in the creation narrative, because he is the only other example we have of a man who is free from sin, in Genesis 2, 24 and 25, we can read, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Adam and Eve were not unaware at this point of what each other's nakedness meant or allowed for. But there was no evil in their hearts that it might be misused or abused, for they were without guile. It's not by mistake that the second sin entered into their hearts and their world, one of the first things that they did was make themselves clothes. This guile had crept into, into their hearts. When I was a young teenager, I was the pinnacle of the negative example of the socially inept homeschooled kid. All of the stereotypes of the homeschooled kid that has no idea how to interact as a human being, that was me. My mom tried so hard to teach me social skills, but apparently none of her lessons stuck super well. And I rejoined the school system in grade 8, and I went to a, a Catholic school. And in my wide-eyed innocence, I was blindly trusting. This Catholic school that I got sent to, the idea was, hey, it's a Catholic school, maybe it'll be a little bit better and less kind of rough and tumble than most other schools. Well, the, the opposite happens, and all of the other parents think that their troubled kids should go to that school too to get shaped up, and then the school just ends up being a tough place to be, especially for a very socially inept homeschooled kid. So I come in in grade 8, and a guy that I barely know within weeks of starting at this school comes and says, can I borrow some money? I thought nothing of it. Okay, yeah, sure. You'll pay me back. I later learned that this was a local drug dealer in the school, and that money never materialized again. My lack of guile in that situation could just as easily have been mistaken for stupidity, and maybe it was in one sense. Who loans money to someone that they don't even know without any kind of security? But it was also just an utter lack of, 
of guile, a desire to just help another person, not super concerned about whether I might be taken advantage of. Our Savior is not ignorant of the possibility of evil the way that I was, or even the way that Adam was in the garden. As God the Son, Jesus must have been keenly aware of the evil that pervaded the hearts of all mankind with which he interacted. But yet, he remained innocent and guileless towards them. Hear from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the benchmark for innocence, as our passage sees it. This is the benchmark for our dealings with mankind. Not just refusing to pay evil for evil, but even repaying good for evil. Even the most kind and charitable person I know couldn't say that in 100% of their dealings, that they have loved both their friends and enemies with perfect love. But praise God, it was fitting that we should have such an innocent high priest. Third, Christ was unstained, undefiled, or pure. Our great high priest could not be contaminated with the filth of this world. More than any of the others, this, to my mind, brings up this idea of the perfect, spotless sacrifice. When God instituted the Passover for the Israelites on the evening of their flight from Egypt, he commanded them, tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. Your lamb shall be without blemish. And in 1 Corinthians 5, Christ is directly associated with this. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. If Christ was to be our perfect Passover lamb, to serve as our perfect high priest, then he had to be totally unstained and without spot or blemish. 
we all know that no sinful blemish or spot is tolerable before the righteous judge of creation. Each one of us can honestly say, along with the prophet Isaiah, we have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. In order to stand in our place, none of that pollution could have stained our Savior. Even from the womb we are sinful. The very bent of our hearts is evil from the beginning of our days. But Jesus is unstained even from that original sin that plagues mankind. Romans 5.12 says, Sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. With Adam as the progenitor of mankind, Adam's sin was counted towards all mankind. This plays along with what we read from Hebrews 7.10, where Levi was said to have paid tithe to Melchizedek because he was present in the loins of his ancestor Abraham. And so we all are counted as sinful from birth in our presence in Adam's sin. But Jesus was born of a virgin, fathered by God, and had no such pre-existing condition. The sickness of sin did not rest on him. Jesus called out the Pharisees for their sparkling exteriors and their polluted hearts when he called them whitewashed tombs, clean on the outside but full of rotting dead bones outwardly appearing righteous to others, but within full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And in a very real way, we are all the same. Even the most righteous of men is polluted beyond repair before they take their first steps or say their first words. But our holy Jesus Christ is unstained by all of this. For by the will of the Father, it was indeed fitting that we should have such an unstained high priest. These first three conditions of Christ's perfection for the priesthood, holy, innocent, and unstained, they all combine to drive home the absolute perfect sinlessness of Christ. No matter what angle you look at him, he is above reproach. There are no dust bunnies under the carpets or underneath the furniture. There are no cobwebs in the corner. No streaks on the windows. Everything about him is perfect. And so it had to be because all of these things combine to separate him from sinners. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has in every respect been tempted as we are and yet was without sin. For if Christ was not without sin, then it couldn't be said that for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. If Christ had failed even once, he would have been disqualified from acting in this role because he would have sunk to our sinful level. 
he himself would have been deserving of the punishment of death that we are all destined for without him. And as such, he would have had no grounds upon which he could substitute himself in our stead when it came time to pay the penalty because he was deserving of the penalty himself. After making purification for sins, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. He has been exalted beyond anything and anyone. Again, trying to drive home the supremacy of Christ over the Old Testament priesthood, our author says, He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. There was no need for Jesus to purify himself, for there was nothing to purify himself from. He literally came from the heavenly holy of holies that the earthly temple was modeled after. And he has since returned to the presence of God Most High. That holiest of holy places in the temple was a place that even the greatest of high priests would only dare enter once per year and would enter with great fear and great trembling that he would be struck dead for his own uncleanness before God. And yet our great high priest calls that place his home. He lives in that place. Why does he need not purify himself to act as a priest for his people? Because the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. But the word of the oath which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek, the guarantor of a better covenant. And thus he is able to save to the uttermost those who would draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Brothers and sisters, when we come to look at the qualifications that come with such a priesthood, you and I should absolutely be keenly reminded of our utter inability to stand before the righteous judge with any confidence in our own merit. There can be no self-representation in the courts of heaven that result in anything but a guilty verdict. But when you or I are represented by Christ to the Father, the one who can honestly say that he has been perfectly holy and righteous in every respect, things change. For any of you with a child, young or older in your life, parent, grandparent, uncle, auntie, otherwise, I want to commend to you um, R.C. Sproul's children's books. They're beautiful. And one of the greatest of which and a favorite in our home is The Priest with Dirty Clothes. In the book, this priest named Jonathan is to preach before the king and has this fancy priestly garb that he's wearing on his way. And it's ruined beyond all repair before he can even get there. And as such, he's found unfit to come before the king in his courts. He tries everything he can to clean these stains himself, but he ends up having to seek the help of the great prince. 
The great prince sends Jonathan to his father's courts and brings Jonathan a change of clothes. He brings his own princely royal clothes and dons Jonathan's stained priestly robes. And he says this, When Jonathan was dressed, the prince said to the king, Father, may Jonathan now stand in your presence? He is one of my people. The king was pleased, and he said to the prince, Yes, my son, as long as he wears your clothes, he may stand in front of me. Jesus is our great high priest and the guarantor of a better covenant. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. He has lived the perfect life that we could not and cannot live. He has died the death that we deserve, suffering in himself the holy wrath of God. He has put on the stained, sinful garments of our own life and received the punishment for it. We can say with Paul from Philippians 3, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. By faith in Christ, you and I can receive the unstained garments of Christ's perfect righteousness. And by that righteousness, by the work of our perfect high priest, we can with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and help in our time of need. And that's why we're here, week in and week out. We come to worship a God that has stooped to rescue his creation from a mess of their own making, who gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. We come to worship God and to receive from him mercy and grace to help us in our time of need and that we might be equipped to do the will of him who has sent us. But none of this has any effective value without a perfect high priest. Not just a priest, but a perfect priest who even now intercedes before God the Father for his people. And I pray that as we go from here this morning, as we live the lives that God has set out before us this week, that our perfect high priest would figure into all that we say and all that we do. That we would not for a moment take for granted the, what had to be done on our account to make us right with God and that we may live as ones who have been made right with God. That we wouldn't live as our old selves would have lived, but that we would live as ones bought with a price. 
Would you pray with me? Our God and our Heavenly Father, we come before you now only by the work of your Son, Jesus. We stand before you clothed in his righteousness alone, with none of our own to offer. We thank you that you set in motion from before the creation of the world the, the process that would lead to your people being reconciled to you. That you saw that it was for your glory and for the good of your people to allow sinful man to exist. That any of the infinite opportunity that you have had to just wipe us from the face of the earth for our own iniquity, that you stayed your hand for your glory and for our good. We thank you that you have given us a priest to represent us before you, a priest that has made propitiation for our sins, that our sins have been dealt with by the work of our Holy Savior. That we don't just return to net zero, but that we are then given the righteousness of Christ that we cannot ever deserve and that is beyond anything we could ever accomplish. Lord, may we live for you as you have sent your Son to die for us. God, we bow before you as your people grateful beyond measure and pray that you would go with us this week that we might share this good news with any and all who would hear it we pray that even through the online means that we have in this church that some might hear this message and turn to you that some might hear the gospel that is being proclaimed and to know it to be true by a work of your holy spirit God, we ask that in your will you would bring us back safely next week. Lord, we do continue to pray that you would come again soon. That we might meet and know face to face our great high priest. That we might be able to glorify him for the glory that you have given him from before the creation of the world. We thank you for all these things and pray them in Jesus' name. Amen. Now would you please stand with me for the benediction from Hebrews 13. And now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, Equip you with everything good, that you might do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory, forever and ever. Amen.